0: So this week, um, if if you've been here for any amount of time, you know we're in a a series called Witness. Um, Basically, what we're doing is we're looking at how, uh, in the book of Acts, how God empowered his church and and what that looks like for us in in the 21st century America and our church. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be filling his church, then sending them out to do the things that God has called us to do? And last week, uh, since we're on week five, last week we were on, in, in chapter four of Acts, obviously, if you're good with numbers. And basically what we looked at is there was three questions we wanted to ask because we looked how, how Peter and John had healed, healed the person outside of the temple in chapter three, and then you saw the repercussions for that in chapter four, and then you look in chapter four and you see something in the disciples that you hadn't seen previously. You look at these guys and they're like full of power, full of passion, full of bravery and courage, and they were speaking boldly the gospel. They, were, they had no fear of what man could do because they, they were looking at God for, for, his, for his direction and his leading and his protection. And what we saw is, is the questions that we asked last week is, has the gospel transformed your life? I'm pretty sure 90% of us, at least in here, would say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the gospel, all that stuff. That's an easy question to answer in the church today in America. Whether that's true or not, I can't tell because I can't see into your heart. But has the gospel transformed your life? When you said yes to Jesus, has that changed how you live? If it hasn't, then we need to back up and just evaluate ourselves just a little bit and see where we're at. Because scripturally, every time you see someone coming to the Lord, coming to Christ, their lives look radically different. Their lives look completely different. They were going one way, they went, they went the opposite way. And so the second question is, do people take note that you've been with Jesus? Do people look at your life and say, that person is different? That person, don't go there. That person has been with Jesus. That person, something, they have something about them that's different. They have something about them that I want. They have something about them that I can't explain, but it's powerful. Because it says these guys were unschooled, uneducated. They were just ordinary men, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They remembered these guys had been with Jesus. That's what's making them. That has to be the key. The third question. Do your prayers reveal a heart that's been captured by the gospel? Do your prayers... Does your prayer life at home, with your, with your connect group, with your, with your spouse or your friends, does it reveal that you have been transformed by the gospel? Does it reveal that your heart has been captured by the gospel? And what we've seen so far in Acts is a common theme that there's no such thing as a Christian who's sitting on the sidelines of their faith, right? That's what we've seen if, you, if you've been reading the Acts uh, the Witness Reading Plan. If you don't, if you don't read your Bible, um, we gave you a tool. It's called, it's, called, it's called the Witness Reading Plan. It's on our website under the Media tab. Click Resources, 412 Reading Plan. It's right there. It's easy to find. Um, so if you've been reading through that, it will show you that that's the common theme. There, there's no sideline Christians. And this week, as we dive into Acts 5, I really... Go ahead and turn to Acts 5. If we, we're going to dive into Acts 5, and I actually want to start before Acts 5 a little bit um, in verse 32 of chapter 4. So turn to Acts 4, 32 um, to start with this morning, and then we're going to just go right into Acts 5. So today, the theme uh, and the question is going to be um, center around, are, are you giving your first and your best to God? Like I don't want you to look at your neighbor or elbow your husband or elbow your wife, so I told you you wouldn't be doing this. You know, listen, individually... Are you individually giving your first and your best to God? Think about that for a second before we answer that to ourselves. We're not going to have a hand raising or anything like that. But are you giving your first and your best to God? So does God get the first, the best of your time? Does he get, or does he get the leftovers? I got to fit him in here, or I got to fit him in here because... I'm busy over here, and I'm busy over here, and I'm busy over here. Does God get the best of your your treasure, your money, or does does he just get what's left over after you've saved and you've spent what you want and need for yourself, and then he he gets the leftovers? Or does God get the best of your talents, the things that he's given you to use to see the kingdom come and his will done on earth? Does he get the best of those things, or have you hidden them away because you're insecure or because someone told you that your gifts weren't important or useful in the church? So you've backed away from your gifts. Is he getting the best of those things? And so the overarching question of the day today is, do we have a healthy view of God in all of his glory and his holiness, or have we created this image of God that is safe and likes everything that we like and agrees with everything that we agree with? Because if the God that you serve likes everything that you like and agrees with everything you agree with, you're probably serving an idol and it's probably not Jesus probably something that you've created in your heart as a false gospel. That's what the Pharisees had done. So let's look into Scripture, and let's read some of this stuff um, together, and we're going to dig in pretty deep, so let's get with it. Uh, It's chapter 4, verse 32 to verse 37. This is what it says. All the believers... Let's stop right there. That's a lot of people at this point, right? All the believers were one. If you have a pen or a a marker or some lipstick or, or something... Circle one, right there. That means they were unified. They were united. All the believers, thousands of them, they were unified in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. My Lord, that's amazing, right? How awesome would it be to be in a body like that, right? That's, that's, this is the church right here. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So let's, let's get this straight. So they were selling their possessions, their homes, their fields, the, the things they had, in assets in their life, so that the gospel could be pushed forward and the kingdom could be built. And what they did is they brought the money to the apostles and they distributed it to whoever had need. So what I want to show you here is there's a lot of trust in this, right? These guys were selling their land. Peter, here's the money from the land. Do what you need to do with it. That's some trust, man. You look at that in, the, in, the, in today's church, 90 percent of the people that don't give in the church don't trust the church right that's why that's why you have a hard time with that and this and this is this, it's amazing to look at how, how how much trust they had in the Lord verse 36 Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas which means the son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet that's a really weird way to end a chapter right we're just he sold the land brought to the apostles in the chapter. What? That's weird. It's weird if you don't know this, the next chapter. The next chapter brings in what it looks like. But if you look at chapter 4, 32 to 37, like we just read, these people were the most generous people in the world. They were giving their time, their treasure, their town, their money, their house, their whatever. And they were like, no, hey, nobody in the world said, hey, that's my stuff. Don't be taking my stuff. Hey, that's that's my corner of the fridge. Don't be touching my sweet tea over here. nobody Nobody had stuff they considered their own. No one saw anything as their own. Everything they had was seen as a resource to be used for the kingdom of God. Is that weird? Yes, it's weird, but it's awesome. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to look at. Everything they had, not just some of it. This is my stuff for God over here, and this is my stuff for Michael over here. That's not how it was. Everything was together. Everything was seen as a resource to be used for the kingdom of God to grow. And as you read this, you can see that the gospel, what, it had, what the gospel had done in these people's lives is it loosened their grip on their stuff. But what it did, it also, it tightened their grip on other people. It tightened their grip on people. And that's always what happens when the gospel comes in somebody's life and it takes a hold of someone is that you hold your stuff loosely, but your hold on other people tightens, You start caring about other people more than you care about your stuff. You start caring about people more than you care about success or or fame or, or notoriety or reputation because Jesus has changed your heart through the gospel because you've seen he's come down from heaven to love you whenever you were unlovable. And that's the heart behind the gospel is it changes us. Because what happens is, you know, when you think about it, I just said it a second ago, is that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Like Jesus... Was God. He's God in the flesh, but he, but he left His throne to come to earth. Can you wrap your mind around that this morning? Are we, we good this morning? Can you wrap your mind around that this morning? That God came down from heaven from His throne in, G, in the form of Jesus to love people, which means He was rich. He, was, he has no needs. There's no needs that God has, but He left those riches in heaven. To come down to earth to serve and to love people. He, he left those things. In the early church, what you see in that in the last part of Acts chapter 4 is they got it. They saw it. They, this was real to them. They took it on as themselves. It's like, this is, this is the real deal. And so much so it changed how they actually lived because people were starting to look at their brothers, sisters, cousins, husbands, wives, mothers, grandfathers, all these people like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, you, this is not you, but I like the new you, but this, something's different, man. And the gospel had changed their life because what happens is the power of the gospel takes people whose hearts are made of stone and turns it into a soft, moldable heart of flesh so that God can put his spirit inside of that person. If you look in Ezekiel 36, you can see this, verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what happens at salvation. This is what we call rebirth. This is what it means to be born again. If you want to look in John 3, you can see some of this um, concept's happening in real life. But this text in Acts 4 gives us also an incredible picture, an example of, of what this looks like in real life in a man's life in the, name, in the man of Barnabas. The the man's name literally means the son of encouragement. How awesome would it be to be named the son of encouragement? You know what I mean? Most of us would be called the son of sarcasm today, right? But like, listen, what would it be like to be called the son of encouragement, the son of love in that moment? Because Barnabas, literally, if you look through the pages of Acts, he's one of the coolest characters you'll meet in Acts. He was was always being generous. He was... um, if you look over in Acts a little bit further, we're going to get there in a few weeks, but he was the first person to embrace Paul after Paul got converted. That's a big deal. Paul was killing Christians. Barber says, hey, bro, you're in. I love you. That's a big deal. You look in Acts 11. He was the person that, he was, the person that was leading the church in Antioch in diversification because you see the Gentiles coming to Christ. The Jews were like, no. But Barnabas was there to bring him in to pastor him, and he was pastoring the new Gentile converts in Acts 11. And, you know, he goes on Paul's first missionary journey with Paul. Then when John Mark, a guy who fell from grace, and and Paul didn't trust him no more, and Paul said, No, you're done. Barnabas says, I'll take him. I'll restore him. Y'all go. We'll go this way. And he was the one to love his, his brother. And that's what it looks like. That's what the gospel looks like when it comes into somebody's life. It changes their life. And here's how I would summarize Barnabas' life, or Barnabas, he lays down his money and possessions, and he picks up people. Is that your life? Have you laid your possessions down? Have you picked up people? Have you started investing in other people's lives? Or are you more concerned about your own life, your own security, your own safety? And he, he's the example. Barnabas is the example in Acts, I think. We're going to see him throughout the rest of this chapter, or this, this, uh, this book. Is what the gospel does in somebody's life whenever they come to Jesus. As I've been studying these first few chapters of Acts, I feel like God is really counseling us and, and preparing us to apply these concepts in our lives and in our church. I don't think the book of Acts was meant to be like, wow, that's awesome. I wish we could do that. I think the book of Acts is meant to be a trendsetter or, a, or a, it was meant to be a, a standard setter to say, this is the church. You're a part of the church too. We're called to live like this. Now, are we going to see the same things that they saw? I don't know. I hope. That'd be awesome. But if we don't, are we still going to live this kind of committed life to Jesus where we're giving ourselves our time, treasure, and talent to see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven without any kind of recognition on my part because I don't want any of it. You shouldn't want any of it. It should be all about him. And that's the heart. And we have, we, have, we have to gain a new perspective and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and follow as if our life depends on it because our time here is limited. So in this next session, let's look into chapter 5. In this next session, what you're going to see is a moment of failure. Who's ever failed? Everybody raise your hand. What's wrong? Just participate. My gosh. Okay. We all have a moment of failure. And we see a moment of tragedy in this early church. And I believe what God is doing is he's warning some of us directly in this. I think he's warning the church, not just there, but also here in the church down the road, in the church in, down the, across the country. He's trying to warn the church of what it looks like to come before God with any kind of heart except one in awe and wonder and in fear. And so let's read this together. It's a, it's a um, very hardcore topic, so let's read this together. Let's read verses 1 through 4 together first. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with, together with his wife, every word in Scripture is important, together with his wife is important to read because he was not doing this alone. Okay, And also Ananias literally means, um, his name means God is merciful, which is kind of funny. Um, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So just like Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira sold some property. Just, just like Barnabas, okay? With his wife's full knowledge, circle full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, the leftovers, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. It was dishonest. It's a heart issue here. Then Peter said, this is discernment on Peter's part, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So my question here is, who was really behind all of this? Satan. Satan was behind every move Ananias and Sapphira was doing. And you look at this, this is the first post-resurrection or post-cross appearance of Satan in Scripture. And what that looks like is before the cross, Satan's strategy was to kill Jesus. We want to kill Jesus, get him out of here, move him out of the way. Because then if you look more closely, now it's to destroy Jesus' church from within. And so he couldn't destroy Jesus because he rose from the dead, defeated death in the grave. Now he's trying to destroy the validity of the church. He's trying to destroy the church's name. He's trying to destroy the name of Jesus. And what I want to show you is he's trying to kill the unity and the maturity. If you remember a couple of series ago, we did a series where we talked about, it was called Equip. And the main thing was to be united together as a body and to be growing in maturity as the body. And if we're being united and we're being mature in the faith, that's a strong church. But anytime we allow Satan to come in and divide, unity perishes. Anytime we allow Satan to come in and distract us, maturity moves out because we're so distracted by everything else that we cannot press into the Lord. But when you look at this story, we're looking at in in the first part of Acts 5, what was wrong with what they did? Have you ever asked yourselves that? What was wrong with what they did? Because don't we do the same thing? Don't we sell stuff or don't we give part of our stuff to church and part of our stuff to God or, or to this or that, and we we, we go we, we, we do our own thing too with our money. But what's wrong with what they did? Like, was it that they kept part of the money back? I don't think it's... Bec- it's not that they kept the money back is what, what was wrong with this. If you look again, you'll see the problem was that Ananias, he presented the gift to the apostles as if it was the full amount. You see that? And so you saw Barnabas selling everything he had. Here, have it all, man. I'm going to go over here and do this. You have everything you need. Use it like you want to. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira saying, I'm going to sell a portion of this and give it here, but I don't want to sell it. I want to give it all. And so, But they presented it like it was the full amount. So let's keep reading in verse 5. Buckle up because it's about to get hairy. Here we go. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Yep. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body. And he carried him out and buried, buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this price? Is this the price you and Ananias got for your land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Because remember, she was united with her husband with full knowledge. And so listen, before we get going any further, I need to, this is a super tense moment, right? Can you imagine what those interns were doing whenever they were dragging that guy's body out? What were they saying to each other? Like, oh my God, what's happening here? what have we got ourselves into? This is crazy, man. Did you see that guy just passed? What happened? Like, listen, but also the wife came in, was lying as well. She was dishonest as well. She had a heart that was bent against against being honest as well. And I want to speak to you ladies. Like, what was she supposed to do? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what was she supposed to do in this moment? Is she supposed to be a good wife and just submit to her husband in that moment? Like, listen, submission never means following your husband into sin. Yeah. Hear that? Submission never means following your husband into sin. Submission can mean following your husband to a mistake, <laughs> but not sin. And here's why I'm making a big deal out of this, because it seems that when, when some ladies get married, they basically relinquish all responsibility for their lives and just go along with whatever their husbands want to do. And this is the hard part is, is there's a day coming when we're going to stand before God like Sapphira did here, and you'll have to answer for yourself. And so I want to tell you, don't ever substitute your husband for the Holy Spirit. It's important, though, that remember we are one flesh. But you have to answer to God, men, men, I got one sentence for you. Your sin, your passivity never affects just you. It affects your family. It affects your church. It affects your wives, your kids. It affects everything that you do. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will kill you out as well. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Listen, if it's your first time at church this morning, I'm really sorry. This is not usually how we preach. Listen, we're going through the book of Acts, and this just happens to be where we're at, okay? So this is what we're doing, all right? So listen, as I read that passage right there, I have a ton of questions. I'm not sure about y'all, but I have a ton of questions that I want to ask God, like, what the heck's happening here? This is not, this is weird. This is crazy. And and, and there are two main ones that I want to ask today. I want to kind of get going. The first one is, why did Ananias and Sapphira do what they did? Why did they do what they did? Why did they give some and take some back and present it like it was the full amount? Why did they lie to God? Why did they lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did they lie to the apostles? Because what I want to tell you is, what I've learned as I read this and as I pray through this, is their lies were symptoms of a much deeper problem. It wasn't the lie that was the problem. It was their heart that it came from that was the problem. So we're going to lay it out pretty plainly this morning as I try to do every week. And this might hit home a lot for a lot of us today. But what they did, if you look deeper into the scripture, they loved money and they loved the affirmation of people and they wanted the praise of people and they wanted their reputation to be well known, but didn't want to give away all of the profit from their land sale. So they told a lie so that they could keep some of the money and still get the praise of the people. Do you see how manipulative that is? That's a hard issue. And we all are in that boat where I'm one decision away from doing the same thing, right? And Just like all of us are. And and, And if you look back at Acts 4, they were the exact opposite of Barnabas. Barnabas's heart was like, have it all. I don't even care about this anymore. I care about God. I care about the kingdom of God. I just want to see him. You can have all these earthly possessions because I know where I'm going, bro. God's going to take care of me. And so we see two storylines here. And I think God is trying to teach us a lesson in this, that Barnabas was filled with the Spirit and gave away his stuff to bless people. Like, I care about people, so I'm giving you this but Ananias and Sapphira, they were filled with the love of money and the love of praise, and so they lied about their generosity to gain, to gain praise from people. Are y'all seeing this clearly? Is this too elementary? Do I need to go a little deeper? Well, listen, sin, like lies or, or greed or, or lust or all these things we put on the cross last week, the, the fear, the anger, abuse and hurt, all these things, basically these lies went all the way down to the deepest part of their heart. It was not something they just did. Oh, this is, this is, my, this is the money. I, I've heard it all said before that, that, that all sin, whether it's jealousy or, or lying or cheating or stealing or adultery or lust or whatever it may be, is, is not being generous, are all like smoke from a fire. This is what a pastor I uh, listen to quite often said. They're like smoke from a fire that point back to, to the fires of what you're actually worshiping. So if you look at this, the problem is not the smoke. So if you, if you go in your house and, you're, and, you're, and you wake up and there's smoke in your room, you're not going to open a window and try to blow the smoke out, are you? You're going to try to find the fire. Is that right? I hope. If you don't know, okay, go find the fire if that happens. Okay. For me, I'll tell you this. For me, when I was young, when I was young, it started from a young age, and it probably had something to do with, with how I was raised or whatever, but I craved the approval of people. I desperately wanted you to like me. I desperately wanted you to think I was cool. I desperately wanted to be on the team. I wanted people to love me. And if you didn't love me, I would like bend over backwards to make sure that you cared about me. And if you look at that, as I got older, I never dealt with that root issue. And and what it did is it manifested itself into always being concerned about what other, other people thought about me. I would overwork myself to make sure that I had your approval. Or I neglected what was most important to make sure I was seen and liked. But when Christ came into my life, whenever I actually came to the Lord and saw who he really was and the Holy Spirit filled me with the Spirit of God, I quit needing to use, I needed, I quit needing the approval of people. So, short story, I don't care what you think about me. I want to preach what this says, and that's it. Okay? That that was a little rude. I love you. But what what you need is what you need, what we need is not to just quit lying or just quit stealing or just to quit being greedy or just to quit doing these things or focusing on ourselves or filling the blank. What you need is to be filled with the Spirit of God and to learn how to focus your heart on Him. Jesus is the one that changes our heart, not you. Jesus is the one that changes our heart. There's no amount of going to church, no amount of worshiping, no amount of scripture or memorization it can, can change your life. Jesus is the one that changes your life through those things from time to time, but Jesus is the one that does the work, not you. So listen to that this morning because we need to stop just fanning the smoke away and getting it out of our room and start putting out the fires of idolatry in our lives that we've we've learned to live with and we've accepted as normal in the church. It's time to kill those idols and knock them down because I tell you this morning is that we all have idols. We just got to figure out where they're at and we got to figure out when we're going to be ready enough to knock them down. The second thing, the second question I had, I'm like, what is happening? Obviously. Number two is, what is God trying to teach us in this scripture? Side note, that should be a question that you ask yourselves every time you open the Bible. God, what are you trying to teach me in this verse? How do you want me to change my life because of this verse? But I read this and I'm like, God, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to preach this week from Acts 5 because this is crazy like I, how am I supposed to say, hey, you better not lie, you're gonna die. You no know, I can't say that. So like how do you how do you do this? you know so there's a few things there's three things actually really quick that I've noticed that God is trying to teach me time, and I'm going to just share it with you like kind of like you're in my living room. I'm going to just tell you what God's been teaching me okay So I look at this and the first thing I notice is that in the church there are two kinds of people. So in the church, there's two kinds of people, and it's nearly impossible to distinguish them from the outside. That's pretty hard truth, right? Because nobody in here is gonna be like, "Hey, I'm Ananias and Sapphira," right? Nobody's gonna volunteer for that one. But are we like that? Are there people in here like that? Is that you? Is that are, are you like Barnabas? You know, people like Barnabas, you know, are giving things away. Are not just their stuff, but their, their their life away. They're giving their life away to see Jesus. Come, and Jesus' will we'll be done. So which are you? Because on the outside, Ananias and Sapphira, they looked exactly like Barnabas. They were wearing a blue shirt. They were wearing an orange shirt. They were in the parking lot. They were serving. They were singing. They were going to serve people in our community. They were, they were in Bible study. They were doing all these things just like Barnabas. But underneath the surface, they were different, very different. And like they were active in the church, Guys, I would even go as far to say as Ananias and Sapphira were generous. Like they were selling their stuff to give to the church. That's still generous. But they weren't being honest with what they were doing. But deep down in their heart, there there was still this love of money and this affirmation from people that they never, ever repented of. They never got rid of it. They were following Jesus with unrepentant sin in their heart. A, A book I read from, this guy named John Newton once said, We're great imitators, mimicking the motions and the words, but often from a heart that has not been converted because we've never repented of our idolatry to money and to praise. And if you look throughout Scripture, I'm telling you, you look in Joshua 7, you can see these things. Like when Joshua 7, when Achan took the 200 shekels of silver and the gold bar, whenever God said, don't take anything but destroy everything from Jericho. Destroy it all. But Achan saw these things. He's like, I'm going to take this. And he put it in his tent, went inside of his tent, went inside of his house, put it in the ground, hid it from everybody in Israel. He said, I coveted these things in my heart. And then he hid them in his tent away from everybody else. So my question for you is what's hidden in your life? What's hidden in your life away from the eyes of God that you're not ready to say, here, God, here, take it all. You may say, Jesus is my Lord, because Ananias and Sapphira did. They, they believe Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, hallelujah, we're part of the church. But what about your personal life? And I, I can't see inside your tent, nor do I want to. I can't see inside your life, but God can, and he does. He's, he, he's, he's all in this place this morning. And so what does it say about your life? What Are you like Ananias and Sapphira, or are you like Barnabas? The second little subheading is, is fear is a part of worship. Fear is a part of worship. Like you look in this place, verse 11 says, great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. Is there anybody in this room that would not be in fear after they hear about this? Everybody be writing a check. I ain't gonna lie to you. Listen, but it goes further. Verse 14, it says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So fear added to the Lord's to the number of the church. But this fear concept goes goes against some of our views, though. If you think about this, it goes against some of our views as God being a big old, big old cosmic teddy bear up in the sky that we love to cuddle with at night when we're praying, God, Lord, just give me blessings and Lord help me in this situation and heal this and do that. Oh God, I just love you so much. But the fears when it comes in, we have to see that God is is infinite in love. He is, because that's how we got the cross. But you can only know his love as much as you know the magnificence of his glory and his might and his power. That is the only way that you're going to experience the true love of Jesus. Any other love is is going to be tarnished because you haven't seen the whole view of who God is. Because without that, you can't understand what the gospel actually means. My favorite definition of, of biblical fear is ah, mixed with intimacy, Ah, mixed with intimacy. Like, oh man, like just mixed with intimacy. And if anyone knows me at all, which a lot of you do, I enjoy joking a lot. I enjoy picking on people. No means I enjoy like I enjoy I enjoy doing that with people that I care about. I mean, one it was how I was raised, but I love having fun. I love I love joking with everybody. But when it comes when it comes time to get together in the presence of God, a holy God, a God so holy that we've said in here that if one sin comes into his presence in one heart, it will be like that person it is a tissue paper on the surface of the sun. My heart becomes filled with this holy fear. And this intense love at the same time. And so it's a tension there. There's fear and there's love. And it's it's an intimacy that I can't explain to you. But it's the most intense connection that I've ever had with any person in the world. God's love creates holy fear and intense love. Because he has made us safe. God has made us safe through Jesus, yes. But we still come before him trembling because of his glory and his majesty. Or if you don't, that I'm not sure that you have ever encountered the true God of creation. Because anytime an angel comes before people in the Bible, it says they fall on on, on their face as though dead. Or they try to worship, people try to worship them. Listen, this is God we're talking about. And so we have to understand that as the fear of God increases, as as the fear of God increases like we see in Acts 5, so does the sense of his love. Because you see, what your sin should have cost you, what your sin in your life, everybody has sin, right? Yes, we do. Okay, I'm answering for you. We all have sin. What that should have cost you, it was God putting that penalty on his own son. That's incredible, man. If, if you've been so desensitized to the gospel this morning, I pray that you would wake up. I pray that your heart would, be, would, be, would be, be, be beating again, would wake up to see who God is and what he's done through Jesus so that you can see that we serve a God who is infinitely powerful, but he is also infinitely, infinitely loving. Proverbs says, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to go a step further and say the fear of God is the beginning of true worship. There's no way that we can come before God with our hands raised and understand without understanding who he is and worship truly in his presence. Because if that's the case, guys, there would be none of this in worship. All well, I do, like song, You know, next. It's not about us, it's about him, and us. And him receiving the glory for all things. The, the last thing. The last thing. Sin is a serious matter to God. Sin is a serious matter to God. Guys, our church... Is, is fighting a, a lot. The, the Big C Church today is fighting a lot of, of cultural, societal issues, some social issues, some different things that we're accepting over here and not here. There's a divide in the church. Like sin is a serious matter to God. It still is. And it's time for the real church to stand up. Because let's be honest, when you read verses like this in our culture, many of you, as I was reading this, got offended a little bit. Why'd he, kill him? Why'd he kill him? That's messed up. Why you, gotta, why you gotta kill him, God? Like, but you have to see, if we get offended by the swift judgment of a holy God described in Acts 5, it reveals our own ignorance of God's holiness. It reveals our own ignorance to, to our own sinfulness, right? Are you hearing me on this? It, it, it reveals our ignorance on the seriousness of sin in relation to God's holiness, and what Satan wants to do is to deaden your ears to hear this message this morning because he wants you to continue the way that you've been going. But we shouldn't be asking the question, that they have to die? Why did they have to die? We should be wondering, why am I still alive? I know my sin. Why am I still living? I know God. I know my sin. Why is he still allowing me to breathe? R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite authors and theologians that recently passed away, in his book, The Holiness of God, he says this, God is indeed long-suffering, patient, and slow to anger. In fact, he is so slow to anger that when his anger does erupt, we are shocked and offended by it. We forget rather quickly that God's patience is designed to lead us to repentance, to give us time to be redeemed. Instead of taking advantage of this patience by coming humbly to give to him for forgiveness, we use this grace as opportunity to become bolder in our sin. We delude ourselves into thinking that either God doesn't care about it or that his, he is powerless to punishment. The supreme folly is that we think we will get away with our revolt. Guys, if Jesus really went through what he went through for us, the nails, the, the pulling out of his beard, the Roman's, guard spinning in his face, tearing off his his clothes, tearing his body with the, with the whips, and we neglect that gospel, and we neglect that gospel, and don't take it seriously, or we put it off to later, or, or what is it going to what is it going to be like one day to stand before a holy God? Think about that for a second, because we all are going to have to do that. The book of Hebrews says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So do a quick self-evaluation in this moment. As we read this chapter in Acts 5, are you pretending to be more spiritual than you really are? That's a hard question for me to ask, but it's one that we all need to answer. Are you pretending to be more spiritual than you really are in God's presence? And I know in here, in this moment, you may say, Jesus is Lord but what does the rest of your week say? Because I know in the church, Jim Elliott, an amazing missionary once said, he said this to thousands of Christians who were singing I Surrender All on a Sunday morning. He says, you may sing I Surrender All on a Sunday, but you are giving an unyielding no to God about giving your lives and the lives of your sons and daughters to go on the mission field. He said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. We sing songs like I surrender all, but don't live surrendered. Have you ever entertained the idea of picking up your lives and moving to a foreign land to share the gospel where it currently doesn't exist? And I'm telling you right now, God is not calling everybody to a foreign land to be a missionary, but he is calling some of us. But have we said no? Have we entertained it? Have we said, is this me, God? Have we allowed him to tell us no? Have we allowed him to say I want you to go to another city and help plant a church or I want you to share the gospel with someone at your job or I want you to pray with your wife or your husband or your kids or I want you to I want you to go on this trip or I want you to go to this place and serve. What areas of your life have you not yet surrendered to God? Because what you see in Ananias and Sapphire are two common areas in all of humanity that people struggle to surrender. We struggle to surrender our finances and we struggle to surrender our reputation. And what I want to ask you and what I want you to see is I want you to find out how strong your commitment is to Christ and to look at some of these questions is, are you willing to obey God, to obey Jesus with your money no matter what? No matter what, are you willing to obey? Are you willing to stand up for Jesus in a moment of tense um, persecution and share the gospel with other people regardless of what happens, even death? Let's just go to the extreme. Are you willing to do that? Or have you said no? Because we can say no without actually saying no. Does that make sense? And listen to this. This has nothing to do with being more self-disciplined and everything to do with your heart. It has nothing to do with, I'm going to read more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to go to the Bible study. Do, that has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with where your heart is. Proverbs 4.23 it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart, because everything you do flows from it. And as you move out past Acts 5 into these further verses, you're going to see this incident with Ananias and Sapphira. What it did was it created a realness in the church, and the church continued to grow. We looked at the first 14 a minute ago. People would literally bring their sick friends and family onto the street. Put them on mats and pray that Paul, excuse me, that Peter and the disciples would walk by so that their shadow would fall on their family member and be healed. That's intense faith. That's amazing. Verse 16 says, crowds were were following the apostles, bringing the the sick and those tormented by by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. It says all of them were healed. Not just this one over there because he was living good, not this person over here because he goes to church. All of them were healed. Because God was moving in such an amazing way. And then you see the Sadducees come in and and put him in jail. And then you see an angel open the door and get him out of jail. And then you see the Sanhedrin say, hey, stop preaching. Stop preaching about this message about Jesus or I'm going to put you back in jail. And they're like, whatever, do what you got to do. Listen, verse 29, it says, what do they say to them? It says, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, by the way, hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his royal right hand as prince and savior that he might be bring Israel to repentance and their forgiveness of sins. What's the next three words? We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. After they said this, what did they do? The Sanhedrin kind of talk, debated what they should do with them. Eventually, they said, you know what? We're going to flog them, which is a horrible experience. Go look it up. I went on YouTube it. It's crazy. Listen, go look at the description of what flogging is. It's crazy. So what did the disciples do? Well, I'm done with this. I'm done with that mess. I ain't doing this tomorrow. I'm turning away from God. You know, you could have this mess. No, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus. And it says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, connect groups, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. And Jesus is the Messiah. So, my question again is Has your heart been captured like this for the gospel? Has your heart been captured like this for the gospel? Or do you just come into church because you've been here so many times that it doesn't even resonate? It's time for the church to become real. It's time for us to become real. That God has sent his only son to die in our place so that we can stand in his place in righteousness. He took my sin so that I can have his righteousness. What kind of God is that? It's amazing to listen to. It's amazing to hear and to understand. Has your heart been awakened to that? Or have you been lying to the Holy Spirit by putting on a good show? So, this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to come and to be in this place and just to worship, but also to respond. Because anytime the gospel is preached, That Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the God who became flesh, came and lived a perfect life, died to the death that I should have died. and was raised again from the dead on the third day to ascend into heaven, to rule into heaven for all eternity. So they can send a spirit and put his spirit inside the church so that the church can be filled up with the spirit of God to be sent out to do the work of God. So instead of one Jesus, we have a million Jesuses. It's important that we understand that this morning. And if you've never made that decision, we're gonna have some prayer team people on the side and we would love for you to pray with these people. We would love for you to come and lay some things down on this altar, man. Last week, we had a great week where we, we understood what freedom was for the first time, some of us. And so today, don't leave here the same way that you came. This is a place of freedom. This is not a place of shame. Some places I've been in, my, in churches in my past have, have made this to be a place of gossip, of shame. This is a place of freedom, of love, of acceptance. And we want to come alongside of you and be here for you. So if you need to lay some stuff down, come here. Guys, if you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus that you never had before, I pray that you would be bold. You would stand up and you would walk to some of these people immediately because what the enemy wants to do is say, nah, 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 nah. You got to stand up and do it. Be bold for him because he was bold for you. So let me pray for you. God, we love you. I praise you for for who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. God, I pray for the people in this room, God, that we would just uh, be able to understand, God, who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that you would just remove the voice of Satan in somebody's ear right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just expel him from this place. God, and freedom will be felt here, God. There will be freedom here today. God, we love you and we praise you because you're the only one who deserves praise and glory. In your name I pray, amen.